Welcome to SaaS Talks from Lead to Close, where I'll be sharing with you everything that I've learned to close leads. I went from quitting my first sales job because I was too scared to talk to strangers to becoming a VP of sales for multiple tech startups where I built a sales team from scratch and led them to an acquisition. I'll teach you how to schedule more demos on your calendars, close at least 50% of your demos, and build a pipeline large enough so you're always hitting quota. If you're looking to scale, then turn the volume up. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to SaaS Thrive. Today we have more, and, and check it out. Look, he's led multiple sales teams right now from demo to close. He's coaching reps to close more deals. And on this episode, we're really talking about the best and worst practices during discovery and demos, right? Like, how do you effectively do discovery prep to nail the discovery call? And then lastly, like transparency, it always wins with customers, right? Like, the more transparent you can be, even though it feels a bit weird maybe to do so, or it doesn't feel as professional, you always win in the end. So what does that mean? How do you be more transparent? How do you close more deals? How do you implement more best practices? Well, that's what we're covering today, you guys. So let's go ahead and dive in. What's going on, brother? How are you, man? I am fantastico. Fantastico. Love it to hear it, dude. Awesome. Well, hey, dude, as we get this kicked off, I would love for you to share with the listeners kind of what got you to start FTTC, right? From demo to close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was a VP of sales three times in a row. One was fractional, the other two was like full time. And while I was a VP of sales at these like B2B SaaS startups, majority of the revenue that was closed in these companies came when I say majority, I'm talking about like over 80% of the revenue came from the demos the reps were doing. I'm not really talking about like how do they get the leads. That's another conversation, but they were they had to do the demos in order to close and, and grow the company. And the worst sales rep on the team was closing 50% of their sales demos. And I was obviously coaching them. But before I even had to hire them, I had to do the demos. It was me and the founder and they had to take over. And then it was time to hire, had to train, had to build a playbook, et cetera, et cetera. And so I was like, oh, maybe the first company I was at was I was just lucky. So I was like, all right, I need to probably be, be a VP of sales at another company so I can get over my imposter syndrome. Again, did that. And I was like, okay, there's consistency here. And then while as VP of sales, I was essentially providing free advice to other reps and they were doing really well. And then I also started to notice that majority of the content that's circulating LinkedIn and social media is how to actually get leads into your pipeline, like cold calling, cold prospecting. I'm like, but yeah, but where's the conversation about how to actually present and how to actually handle the lead properly so you're not like burning it on marketing or burning it on SDR time? And there wasn't enough of it. And I saw a gap slash I had an itch I wanted to scratch about starting my own thing, but I'm very I'm a big believer in starting a business around solving a very real problem versus a want to have. And I felt like this was a big problem. My bet is, and I'm probably going to posting this on LinkedIn this week, is that companies and SDRs and full sales cycle AEs are learning or trying to learn how to actually prospect to get leads and they're putting all their efforts in that. Many of those reps aren't even paying attention to, all right, cool. Now that I have them, what do I do? And so a lot of them are just going to tumble and implode and be like, oh shoot, I need more leads because I need to support the lack of conversions. And so that's what I'm sort of betting on. And when I launched FTC launches a course, then I quickly pivoted and offered a service part of the business. There was a moment where I was going to like close down the business or do it sort of on the side. And I told myself, I need to close X amount of clients in one month. I think it was like at least three clients in one month. Somebody told me, it's like, that's impossible. You need six months at least. Said, I'm desperate. Either that or I got to go full-time as VP of sales again. And I ended up cold prospecting, got on a discovery call with them, did the discovery, essentially did demo, 
closed them within a week and I landed three clients in one month. And then it's, you know, since then I got referrals and other customers. So, wow, that was a very long-winded answer. No, <laughs> I love it. No, that, that's great. I mean, I am a believer myself, like a big pipeline, right? Solves all problems. Yeah. But in reality, right? I love kind of the focus from demo to close. So let's focus on that. Let's start with discovery. Let's start with demos. Let's talk about some of the best practices, some of the worst practices. Let's break it down a little bit and actually talk about some actionable things that they can walk away with using. And I guess just starting there with discovery, right? I think it all starts with like after prospecting, after getting the meeting, effective discovery prep. So I'm curious what that looks like for you, if you have some kind of checklist and, and what resources that you tend to use and what you look for to effectively prep for a discovery call. Yeah. So I'm selling services a little different, but if you're selling software, I think sort of a disclaimer, it depends where that lead or where that discovery call came from. Was it from cold prospecting efforts or was it from an inbound? Because if it's from an outbound, like cold called email, you're not going to ask the prospect, hey, what's the reason you scheduled a demo today? That's stupid. They're going to tell you, what do you mean? You cold called me. You cold emailed me. So that's a dumb question. You can still get the same result of that question by just sort of like contextualizing it. So saying something like, hey, you know, I appreciate you scheduling the time. What about my email? You know, piqued your curiosity. That could be a good trigger. But anyways, what I would recommend and what I've done before a call to prep is I want to know who I'm talking to, literally the person's name, the title that they have, the titles, what responsibilities typically go with the title. So it's a founder, VP of sales, head of marketing, whatever it is. I want to know the company that they work at. I want to know the company's sort of competitive landscape. Like what do they, what problems do their customers have and who are those customers? And how does that company solve that problem? Any recent articles or any posting that they made on LinkedIn that tells me a little bit more about, again, the competitive landscape, potentially who their competitors could be, who they're up against. And usually that's like the bare minimum. And then when I get into the call of the discovery, I like to tell them what I know about the business or what research I've done. And then I get them to sort of fill in blanks where I, I got I was incorrect. Yeah. Are you using 10Ks at all? What is it? Sorry? Like 10Ks reports on like public companies? No. See, I never did in the past either, which is why I asked you that question. I'm just starting to now, just because I guess selling to larger and larger companies, you can find some good information in there, but they're also really long to navigate. So I was just, yeah, I was selling mostly to non, I mean, all of them, all the companies I pitched to were all private companies. Yeah. No, that makes sense. So like, and that's kind of steering it, right. Is like doing the discovery prep helps you build credibility going into the discovery call, right? Like if you can show them, you know them, then it really helps open up the floodgates to be able to ask the hard questions, but no one wants to get into a call and just feel like it's an interview or, you know, give to get like, Hey, I asked to see a demo or if you're just asking questions, what do you say? Just show me the demo. Right. So I think a big great lead in is, is showing them really well that you know them and you know they'll tell you where you're wrong or where you're right, where you're wrong. And like you said, fill in the gaps. Yeah. And then there's like a idea of like, do you tell them, do you just go straight into your disco questions or do you tell them I have a bunch of questions I'd like to ask you first? I'm very on the fence with that. I'm 50-50. I've had calls where I told the prospect, like, I want to understand a little bit more about your challenges. Like, do you mind if I just ask you a couple of questions? Like I've done that before, but I majority of the time I just naturally organically go into the discovery and just start asking my questions with it being like very subtle. That's my approach. That's my approach too. I was listening to another podcast. I forgot which one it was, but it's just like have, there'll be like two to three, let's say core discovery questions that I want. Right. So I'll have those questions like set aside, written down, like, okay, these are the ones I want to answer. But then I learned something really good. And I hate that this was on another podcast and I hate that I cannot quote who it was. But it might have been Jake Dunlap actually that talked about this, but it's just he knows his roadmap. It starts with the role and fit, then it goes into business initiatives and priorities, 
then it's technical, right? So like you said, the role and fit, the business priorities is really understanding how solving this problem like leads up to the, you know, initiatives of the CEO, let's say, or whatever. And then the technical stuff is like, if you're selling a CRM, what other CRMs are, you know, have you used in the past and what's the problem now? Or like in my case, it's understanding all the different ecosystem of tools and more in the weeds of the details, right? So he doesn't have the list of questions, but knows his roadmap and then can just go have, you know, a casual conversation. Yeah. Well, I think for someone starting out, that could be more difficult because they're like, all right, like I know the overarching result of what I need to get from asking this question, but like, what do I actually ask? And I think for people starting out, they probably do need scripts. Now, yeah. Over time, you just start sort of internalize it, and then you're already, you're so experienced, you know what to ask for. I have both. I have my roadmap, and that is more mental. Like I know what I'm trying to get out of this call, and then I have not my actual verbatim scripts, but I sort of like the title of the question. I have like what I call my why question. I have my timeline question. These are all triggers that I know what that means. Timeline question is like, what's the timeline of implementing? And I can ask that questions in different ways. Speaking of that right there, how do you change basic questions? Like, let's talk about impact <clears throat> questions. I have the hardest time still. I probably will always, though. <laughs> you know, it's never always easy. Yeah. We figure out strategies to do it, to ask impact questions of like, how does that impact your business? How is this negatively impacting the business? How is solving this problem going to positively <clears throat> impact it? And yeah. I have some ideas, but I want to hear what, you know, how you kind of spin it. There's one scenario where it becomes really easy to do. The scenario that you actually know the industry of your buyer really, really well. And so you can, instead of just asking, like, how does that impact your business? You sort of load the question by telling them what impact other businesses in their space have seen. And then you can ask them for like relevancy. So for example, David, you know, I spoke to another VP of sales the other day and what he said that he had this exact same problem. And because of that, what he's seen is negative, negative, negative impact. Is that the same with you? I don't suppose that's relevant in your world. So that's one way. I'm loading it already and I'm helping. I'm sort of holding your hand. Option two, if you don't have that information, you're a new rep and you're trying to ask the impact question, sounding and being really curious is easy to ask impact questions. Like if you're genuinely curious, one of the things that I notice when people are very curious is they like naturally curious and they don't fully grasp concept, they tend to speak that concept and thought out loud. So if you tell me something about like, yeah, we're trying to increase revenue rates for the quarter for our entire sales department. Entire sales department. So what you mean is... And then I'm sort of like sharing my thoughts with them out loud. And I'm having them hold my hand instead of me holding their hand. I, so really like, I like both of those a lot. Yeah. It's two different styles. Yeah. I think the one that I rely on more is like, by the way, for, you know, everybody listening to like, I just recently started a new gig, you know, and so I'm ramping. I've been there for, you know, just a little over two months now. So even some of the best practices, I'm saying it's hard, right? Like going into an entirely new industry where it's a very much more technical sale, there's so much to learn. I feel like sometimes I'm asking way too many questions, right? So it's always about trying to adjust and understand them and tell a story. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could say that actually, like I've done that before. Like that's the thing that like, I think prospects and buyers love, I mean, definitely they love transparency, but it's refreshing when a salesperson is really sort of blunt with the prospects. So you just said like, yeah, sometimes I feel like I ask too many questions. Say that on the call, David, like ask the question, but like, and I'm sorry, I feel like I'm just asking too many questions, but I'm trying to understand. So, and then justify the question. So I think they actually end up opening up and they're trying to help you. Yeah. I actually think that's really good advice because I haven't done that yet. And I think Again, I've never seen someone be more transparent, turn off negatively, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, like I've told them a couple of times, like, hey, I'm pretty new, right? That's why I've gotten SD on the call and other folks to set that expectation. But even something like that, I will probably do that on my next call tomorrow. It's going to be super helpful. Do you 
change the dynamic of conversation when you're talking to a BTL versus someone that's like ATL or just, you know, you're talking to someone that's just an end user versus talking to the, you know, the VP who, you know, heads up the team. Remind me what a BTL and ATL is. That's fine. Yeah. It's just below the line. It's just like, as for me, like they're not the stakeholders, like they're not the decision makers. ATL just being like VPs, AVPs, heads, the people that are either going to sign off or have influence in our stakeholders. The The champions? Champions can be BTL, but yes, a lot of times they are the people that have access to influence. They are above the line. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll probably ask them more or less the same questions that I would ask the end user, but they don't have the answers that I'm looking for. Like, And they'll eventually call it out loud and they'll say something like, yeah, you know what? I don't know. That's not something I would know or whatever it is. Then at one point, I'll probably recommend we schedule a follow-up call to make their lives a lot easier. And then other times, if I know they're not the end users, I will ask them, you know, you've been working there for a long time, David. Like, you know, the VP of sales more than I do, more than probably anybody else. Like, in your opinion, what do you think they're going to say? So like, I'm empowering the user that I'm talking to on a demo to provide me the information versus saying like, you know, like, are you the decision maker? Like, am I going to do that? Yeah. No. Okay. Let's take that and then go into a demo, right? So you had a first conversation. Now you have a demo. Let's say there are multiple people on the demo. You've got a few end users. You've got some stakeholders. What are some of the... Let's just start with some of the worst practices, I guess, that you've seen that negatively impact demos. Because it's tough. And the more people you have, the more tough it is. And you know, sometimes... You know, there's this study that's, you know, the quietest people are the ones typically that blow it up and the ones that speak the most are typically the ones that don't have as much influence. And it's hard to navigate rooms like that. And it's a skill that you have to develop over time. So we'd love to hear from you as what are, again, starting with the worst habits or things that you've yeah. seen that destroy demos. I, I, I think the, the worst habit when you're doing a demo with multiple people on the call is number one, not getting information about who those other people are. And number two, not addressing those people throughout the call. So you're only talking to one person. It's as if you're like sort of like shitting on the other people. That's a really bad habit. How do you open up demos? Like what's your script? Yeah, it depends if you're building rapport right off the bat or you're not building rapport right off the bat. But if you have more than one person on the demo and you know that in advance because you've seen the calendar event, then ideally prep for the demo and you reach out to potentially the person that was leading the conversation to begin with and asking them, for context about who those other people are, or you immediately de- like contact those other people and get some context. And then let's assume for a minute you just didn't do that. Then you can, what I call orientation. So you start the call and say something like, you know, I'd like to kick this off, this call off by just introducing myself. And if it's okay with everybody, just sort of go around the room and tell me a little bit more about what you're looking to get out of the call. And then I introduce myself and, and then I'm sort of like, the MC, right? Like I'm just like telling yeah. people, all right, John, you're next. David, uh, how about yourself? And yeah. then I'm taking notes. And then again, it becomes very difficult to have like 16 people on the call. It's very, I mean, you can't do that for 16 people. I mean, rarely have I, frankly, I don't end up with that many on the call. I think any more than five is a lot because then you have about eight, nine people, including people on your side, if you have people on your side. But yeah, at 16, you might as well just save them time yeah. and, and get to the demo, right? One of the questions that I really like asking in discovery is typically at least like a lot of my students now, they're asking like, oh, who's involved? Who's spearheading this with you? Blah, blah, blah. And the prospect is saying, oh, my partner, whatever it is. But you know, they ask me to like look into this and they trust me. And I tell them to ask this question. Well, what if at the end of the call, you like this and you take this back to your partner or your other decision maker and they say no? What happens? And so I want to understand like what's going to happen if that's the use case. And it's pretty insightful what you end up hearing. You mean you had asked that question before the demo, like you had an initial call 
And then you maybe show that person a demo and you say, Hey, when you go back and sell this internally, even before you actually do the call, like on the discovery part, like, and it depends also some companies they have and some reps, they do the disco and demo on the same call. So the first 10, 15 minutes of the demo is a disco, but I like to ask that early on in the disco. I don't like to ask at the end because then the defenses are up because they know what you're up to. And so I like to ask it early on. Do you have a preference of doing disco or demo on one call or two? It really depends on how it depends. That's the short answer. I like the disco demo call on one for a couple of reasons. Number one, it depends how complex your product also is. If you need to really customize your product, you won't be able to do disco demo on one call. You'll have to do disco and then a demo on a separate call. It depends how complex the potential deal is. If there's a lot of people involved, you also probably need to do a separate demo or a set demo for everybody. But the reason why I do like it is, and this probably applies more for the SMB mid-market space, is because what you'll find is you have a calendar, you'll have a dedicated call booked on the AE's calendar for Monday. That's a discovery call. And then they book a demo call for Wednesday or Friday, let's just say. Now, the AE has two block times on the calendar for one prospect where they could open up that spot for another prospect and then just consolidate the disco demo if they do it efficiently and still do it and then still be able to close. So the reason why I like it is you end up fitting more demos onto your calendar. Yeah. And I don't disagree. I just have had a different experience. And that's why I love this question because people have their own perspective and own opinion on it. And even at enterprise, I know folks that are enterprise, they typically never still do demos on our first call. But if it's not a super complex product, sometimes you have to. They're like, just show me the demo. And that's up to you to decide if you want to work with that kind of buyer, show them the demo and put in the work and then ask discovery on the demo or don't. I think like, you know, it also depends on what, what you define as a demo internally as a company. I remember when I was a VP of sales and I was doing discos and the disco went really in the weeds, which is great. I love when that happens. But part of that, it required me to provide context on our solution. And so I did a very high level demo, like sort of generic, like a sort of like an elevator pitch without pitching. I wouldn't mark that as a demo. I had We internally defined what a demo was, that we went through the motions that are tailored back to the prospect discovery, and we did the whole enchilada. If we didn't do that, we didn't cover it as a demo. We covered it as a discovery call. Which makes sense because sometimes if they're not talking, you can dangle a carrot and get them talking. Like Start sharing your screen, talk for two minutes, and then start asking questions and watch. They'll likely start answering because they're finally getting to the demo that you want. So it's a give and take. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. Cool. So now we talked about the worst practices and real quick, one of the worst things you said also too, well, in preparation for the demos is reaching out to them to learn more or reaching out to like your point of contact to learn more. Which one do you find like that works most effective? Reaching out to the person you've already had a relationship with. Yeah. The reason why I ask this is because I've heard both, right? But I've only really had some really good success with reaching out to the point of contact and showing up at the demo and being like, here's what I've learned, but like for each of you, but like, correct me. Yeah, because maybe that main point of contact that you're communicating with is adding other folks to the call. You don't have context. So if you start reaching out to them as if like, oh yeah, they're super important to the call, they may not answer you or they may say like, dude, like, I don't know, go ask so-and-so. Yeah. And so I just rather ask the person I've had a relationship with and they'll provide me the most content. Context. Yeah. Dude, you know, I think you know Salman actually, he talks about this thing that he does about getting like a CEO's quote on a demo and just like having, you know, the screen you know, pull up the PowerPoint, getting it kicked off. And like, here's a quote from your CEO and kind of sparking a conversation like that. Have you ever tried anything like that before? Never. I mean, I'm hearing it. It sounds like cute in theory, but also sounds a little corny. Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Like, I don't want to like, you know, throw beef at anyone, but like, I've never done that. Like, yeah, maybe I'm a unique use case, but if someone did that to me, I'd be like, I don't 
really care. Like I have a job and my job is to do this for the company. Like sure. Save the theatrics. Yeah, no, I get that. I mean, everybody has their own style, right? Like I tried it. I actually really liked it. It did spark a pretty interesting conversation. But the reason I'm asking these questions is sometimes when I get on a call with demos in certain people in the room, it depends on who you sell to. It depends on who's on the call. It depends on you know if they're happy that day. But sometimes it's hard to build that rapport. It's hard to get a good conversation started. It's hard to yeah. you know, control and command a presence in the room. So I'm always just looking for different tactics and strategies and yeah. things that work for other people to help get that command presence. Yeah. So a couple of things that I do slash used to do, especially when I was selling software, when I'm doing my demo, my prep, pre-demo prep research on the prospect, I'm not just looking at like the business side of things. I'm doing sort of like stalkery research. I'm going to Facebook, I'm going to TikTok, I'm going to Instagram. I'm typing in their name. I try to get lost in the rabbit hole of their social profiles. And I'm trying to find something that doesn't come off creepy that I can call out on the call. Maybe I don't even have to call out and point it back to them. Let's just say, for example... I noticed that a prospect likes to drink, he has different types of whiskey and cigars, whatever it is. I'm not going to say like, hey, I saw that you like really different types of whiskey. That's a little stalker. So I'll say something like, by the way, happy Friday. Yeah. How's your Friday? Great. I'm excited. I'm going this weekend to the bar. My wife just got me a new bottle of whiskey, but I'll sort of like throw it in there and maybe that'll prompt the person (laughs) to open up. Another thing that I used to do a lot is I'm like, how do I crack the prospect like to open up, get them to like just be more relaxed. And I just came up with sort of like a joke. And so one of the things I used to say on calls was like, who here has seen the movie Ace Ventura? And they'd be like, oh, I have. I have. I'm like, okay. Remember that scene that with Jim Carrey, they ask him a question, he takes one deep breath, and then he says like the answer all in one depth. Everybody knows usually what I was talking about. And I said, they're like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm like, I tend to do that. I'm Ace Ventura on demos. They usually crack the joke. So I'd find some like sort of icebreaker and everyone has to find their own icebreaker. It has to be authentic because otherwise it's just really bad humor. I love that. You're pointing out a flaw. They laugh at it. They also will forgive you. I talk really fast. So when I get on demos, I like how you actually have a much more fun story. But what I'll say is like, Hey guys, look, I get very passionate about this product. So like once we're kind of in the demo, I tend to, you know, talk pretty fast. So, you know, apologize, you know, if we need to go back or whatever, Yeah. Um, because everyone tells me that's my biggest weakness. And I'm like, well, you know what? There's also character and this energy that comes out when I talk fast and I do try and control it, but you know, I mean, you could say that on a call, right? Like you could start off the call, like, hey, everybody, I'm excited to kick this off. I just want to make one big disclaimer. Please don't judge me. Everybody says my biggest weakness is talking too fast. And they can sort of like segue out of there. I like that a lot. Yeah, because they also say that, you know, you talk too fast, you can lose trust. And that's kind of subconscious. Like people that are fast talkers, they're trying to get one over on you. And the other piece of it is that, you know, there's mirroring, right? So if I'm talking to an SVP at a very large company who typically is really good at talking like this, you know, and then I'm coming over there. Yeah. And then I'm coming over here talking like this for a second. Right. And obviously it's not that night and day. So I do try and be conscious of it, but those are kind of, I would actually give, I would give him a compliment. I would say something like, let's say you're the SVP and I'm you talking really, really fast, which I'm dying. I'd say something like David, like, I want to just say something. Everyone tells me that my biggest weakness is talking too fast. And I'm always trying to figure out how to talk slower and more in control. And I have to say, your level of articulation is pretty phenomenal. I'm sort of inspired. Like, what are some tips do you have for me to talk slower and more in control? Doing that on a call is a complete pattern interrupt. It gets the prospect super engaged, intensely engaged. And it doesn't have to be about their business. That's just like a really genuine compliment. Yeah. The pattern interrupt piece of that is they don't expect to ever hear that from someone in sales. 
it's another piece that brings a lot of transparency and it's asking those questions. Like I know folks that will get on calls and they'll just ask, like they want to genuinely understand why they got into the industry, why they got into that role, why they chose that company. It's what John Barrow's called, like just genuinely giving a shit, I guess. I don't know mm. if he said that, but he says that line, you know what I mean? And so like in that case though, right? Like that's only going to get them to gain respect for you and build that relationship for you. Yeah. If you. you really care about how they started, then your tonality is going to come off authentic. If you don't really care, but someone told you like, Hey, give them a compliment. Cause that's how you get them to engage your tonality is going to show. And then they're going to be like, yeah, I started They'll be short with you. They're not they're like, all right. Yeah. Show me the call. Show me the demo. Yeah. So you should be mindful of their body language on zoom and their tonality on zoom. Yeah. I want to dig into one thing that you, you said for a second. And then I know we're going up on time. We'll wrap up here shortly. When it comes to building rapport, right? Like when I used to sell cars, you know, or even in- Oh, you're one of those? No, <laughs> oh, yeah. No, no, no. When I, oh, I did, I did. I guess I did. I, I was an internet manager at Toyota and I was in <laughs> real estate for a couple of years. But like, you know, they never taught rapport to be like, you know, understanding they needed a safe van because they have kids and tying in like caring by asking the right questions and understanding them and- wanting to help them. Theirs was like, oh, you have a dog. I have a dog. No way. You know, you're something with this place and that place. Oh, no, I do too. Or you like this food. And it's like, that's not real rapport. Like, I guess at a baseline level, right? If you want to be friends and have genuine interests, you know, but something that I heard from, I forgot, it could be a Jake Dunlap again. I, I'm not sure, but it was really just actually one caring, but I think it was more of trying to understand, having empathy, trying to understand their situation, really trying to solve that problem. And it's not just smiling all the time and being happy. Like I caught myself doing that. And that's not me thinking I'm creating rapport. It's just a stupid habit I got into, but always thinking I need to have a smile on my face and you don't. So it's like, you don't need to connect with them on a personal level necessarily. You don't have to have a smile on your face on all the time. So like my question to talk about real quick is just what is rapport building to you? Rapport building is sort of exchanging ideas and thoughts. I mean, I don't know the exact definition, but like you said, rapport building does not have to be about personal. Actually, it can be totally about the business. And it could be something like, you know, David, prior to this call, I was actually looking on your profile on LinkedIn. And I noticed that you used to be a VP of marketing at the last company called ABC. And now you're a VP of sales at this company. What do you feel is like the biggest challenge from marketing to sales from what you've seen? Like that's all business related, nothing about personal. And I'm just calling out my observation. I love that a lot. Yeah. And that would be a great question to really... Everyone loves to talk about themselves. That would absolutely get them to talk about themselves in that transition. Yeah. And you align it to the context of the call. Like, how does that, you know, what are the challenges you've seen as a now VP of sales for this company versus being VP of marketing from last company? And then you can, that automatically rapport building going right into the discovery that you'd like to go. Yep. 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 Good stuff, man. Well, look, I know more. We are getting up on time here. Let's just go into the fire round, ask a few questions, and then we can wrap up. Cool. Let's do it. So, what's one thing that you wish? you knew, or you could tell yourself when you first got into this tech sales or, you know, early on in your career? I think somebody posted that question on LinkedIn today. And actually, I really thought about it. It was something I should have done earlier on was network. So I was, I thought very short term, I was thinking like one week ahead. So if I was potentially trying to close a deal or working a deal or prospecting, I was like, if this person can't help me close the deal tomorrow, I'm not interested in talking to them. If they can't even help me close right now, I'm not interested. And over time, I've realized that sometimes you just plant the seeds today. And in five years from today, you never know how they'll help you. You'll help them. That's true relationship building. I look at 
a lot of my friends that are successful and they have really good contacts. And, and I'm always like, how do you know that person? And that person's like, oh, well, a long time ago we met up. And so they just, they built a relationship very early on and didn't do it predicated on trying to get something from them. And I think early on, I was very sort of like gung-ho and selfish about it. Today, I'm more like, all right, let me just build a relationship. And even if it means we do or don't do something. So that's an important lesson for sure. What's the one most important lesson in the last 12 months that you've experienced? I mean, this one's more personal, but like I was VP of sales. I was an employee. Now I'm an employer. I'm self-employed. I'm not an employer. I'm self-employed. And and I'm still very early on in my business. It's only seven months in, but seven months feels like a longer time. But every night when I'd go to sleep, I'd say like, maybe I'm making the wrong decision. Like maybe I should go to full-time. Like it's really risky what I'm doing. I have two kids. I have you know tuition, this and that. And I was like, okay. So I played it out in my head. I'm like, all right, if I go full-time somewhere, what would I do? I prospect for them and I do selling for them or I build a team for them to make them a ton of money. So I technically speaking, then I do have the skills to make the money. So why should I do it for somebody else if I have the skills to do for myself? And the only sort of variable was a consistent paycheck, consistent and benefits. I was like, okay, well, if I have the skill set, like I just have to have a little bit more thicker skin to last a little longer and I'll probably see results. And so betting on yourself is really scary. And for a lot of people, they feel that it's more risky to do that. And so they end up actually betting on the company because they don't trust themselves. That's a freaking huge one. That's an incredible thought process right there. Yeah. That's good stuff. All right, cool. Well, what's one thing you want to leave the listeners with today? Professionally wise, like sales professionally, like skill set wise? Anything. Anything? <laughs> I want to pitch myself, but I won't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anything, anything, anything. If you're a sales rep working at a company, don't rely on the company to do the work for you in terms of like elevating your skill set. Like there's plenty of free content out there. Your podcast, there's, you know, your podcast is one, my podcast, 30 minutes presence club. And then once you've sort of exhausted the free content, consider investing in courses. Like if you're thinking of courses, coaching, whatever it is, as an expense, then you are the liability, not the actual course. Right. So like you need to think of it as an investment. I love that. If you look at that, I've never heard it said like that. If you look at coaching or investing yourself as an expense, then you are a liability. Yep. That's good stuff. Awesome, guys. Well, hey, more dude, thanks a ton for coming on, man. You guys go to his LinkedIn, check out his content. He's posting all the time. Found a ton of value. That's actually how we got connected and got connected a few months back. And he's also got a podcast, SaaS Talks, which highly recommend. He's got special guests and also very actionable simple, strategic, like sales strategies, methodologies to go implement now. That'll take you five to 10 minutes on a walk while you do the dishes, while you're in the shower, literally whatever you do. And then check out from demo to close. So look, that's a lot of stuff. So more, where would be the one spot that you want them to go check out right now? They can check out my LinkedIn. That's easiest. I won't even say my name. It's too long for them to spell it. LinkedIn, or if they're curious about coaching or courses, they can check out demo to close.com. So one of those two. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you found this relevant or practical at all, then please share this episode. Until next time, I'm your host, Mor Asulin.